You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. of pictures to all of you listening and watching from around the world this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host one mr brandon gory welcome back everyone yes uh, we have been away. We record these in clusters, usually a couple episodes at a time, about spaced out every two weeks. We try to put out an episode uh, every week if we can. So, yep. Yes. And so, uh, what have you been up to lately, Brandon? Because it's been a couple weeks. It has been a couple weeks. It's actually, it's actually funny you ask that, as I just recently purchased an RB67, and we released it in another episode, but I actually got the chance to shoot it uh, the other night, recording a YouTube video to release about the RB67. Um, I enjoyed using the 90 millimeter, which is a roughly 50 millimeter focal length, which I know you like to use on the RB. Um, I also used a 50 millimeter, which is, and I think you told me this, it, it comes down to roughly a 25 millimeter, which is usually a lot wider than I shoot. So it's, it's been quite interesting. Yes, I uh, love those RB67 lenses, and they can be gotten quite cheap. What did you get your, uh, what did you get your 50 millimeter lens for? Well, I got it nearly like top mint rating on eBay for about 260 bucks. That's really good That's for a, a lens that roughly shoots at 25 millimeters. And then there's also uh, the 180. You got to try that one out. The 180 you can get for like 100 bucks, and it's roughly an 85, 90 millimeter. See, I might buy that today, actually. Now it's that, so now cheap. You say it. Like you don't have, so they make a, I think what they call like a K&L version, that's their latest. But if you just get the Secor C version, that's the one you can get for like a hundred bucks. I'll show you some examples in today's episode that I actually took on that. And I think once you see them, you'd be like, oh, that's totally fine. So it's a killer lens. Uh, it does an incredible job. Plus, I know you love a, a base 85 millimeter focal length. Like That's your bread and butter usually. 85, 35, yes. Once again, we'll get into that later in today's episode. Uh, you should not go out and get the ultra wide though for the Mamiya because it's the one outlier in price. Okay, so we checked this earlier and on eBay right now, in fact, I'm not going to pull it up because I don't want to take too much time, but it's $1,900 for the 37 millimeter um, I think it's like, what, 14 millimeter equivalent, 16, something like that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fisheye lens for the Mamiya RB67. There's only one of them on eBay, sold from Spain, and it is $1,900. Insane. Right on. Well, I have personally been uh, going through a bit of a sea change on my lighting. So uh, Brandon and I, we share the same modifiers out of our studio. So Brandon's pretty familiar with how I like to shoot. I like to typically use a gigantic softbox. If I'm using soft lighting, I like to use hard lighting. I think I'm going to try something a little different, and I'm contemplating making the plunge, and I want to go out and buy an 8x8-foot scrim. And because I'm getting more, I'm getting more uh, catalog and lookbook style shoots than I'm getting booked for, and people are paying me for. And if I could just grab one of my pro photo, like my D1, put it up 14 feet in the air, and just shoot it through one gigantic eight foot by eight foot scrim, the lighting will be even. I'm really, I'm really kicking around uh, going that route. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's funny you say that. Is as I as I was diving into book lighting. Um, <clears throat> I, I really want that saw like super uber soft, like editorial effect, almost like it's cloudy light, but just a little bit harder than cloudy light. So it still looks like there's intention behind it. And I was looking at scrims as well. And I, I opted to go with the, the book lighting, but it's interesting that you want to get a scrim because that's something I get immense use out of. And if we actually, if you want to get it for the studio, I'd split cost on you because those things, the eight by eight are not cheap. Did you know that where we operate out of, they have four by fours here that we can use whenever we want? Okay, so which is that, good for no, headshots. No, that's fun fact. I've I've asked for that 
on multiple times. I, I didn't like check the box for a scrim. I just asked in the notes, like if you know, if you have a scrim, can you provide it for like three separate shoots? No scrim. So just I, I assume we didn't have one. I know who to talk to. I'll get it taken care of. <laughs> okay. It's gonna happen. I'm, I'm a scrim guy. You know, yeah. I think we're both gonna be scrim guys here. Yeah, I think soon. I think I'm gonna start moving towards scrims. I still love my hard light though. I'll remove the scrim sometimes, but. I am moving uh, more toward the scrim shoot. It's an easy moneymaker. It's like, you know, co- co- copy and paste, look, book, look, if you need it. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So uh, let's dive into today's sponsor. Cheetah Stand is an awesome company based in the central United States in Dallas, Texas. And yes, they do have the name Stand in their name. However, they do a lot more than just that. They sell modifiers from soft boxes to beauty dishes to magnum reflectors and more. They sell lights from both Stella Pro and Godox. They're also an authorized Godox repair center. Yes, that's right. They offer warranty repair services for Godox, which up until recently was kind of an issue. And yes, as their name suggests, they also do sell stands. I'm a huge fan of their C stands. You simply pick them up and the legs fold. You put them down and the legs come out. They're robust and they come in eight foot, 10 foot and 12 foot varieties. I'm also a huge fan of the rolling boom stands, which has become a staple for my studio work. Hi, I'm Jordan Groby, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. We're back. Howdy. Yes, uh, check out Cheetah Stand. They're really uh, awesome friends of the pod. I love Cheetah Stand. And uh, we actually use Cheetah Stand's uh, quick collapsing legs in the studio all the time, and uh, I love their fold-down stand. So. Look at the lens in, in the in the video. Look how big that is compared to your waist. Yeah. That is that is ridiculous, dude. That's uh, huge. I'm not compensating for anything. Uh, yes, we're talking about focal length in today's episode. And so for those of you who are new, focal length is the distance from the lens when it's focused to infinity, the internal part where all the optics converge and go into the center uh, to your focal plane, your, or, or should say your, um, your sensor and your film or whatever you're shooting on. And yes, he's holding an 85 millimeter, but that, that's that begs the question. Crazy. That begs the question because we can talk about perspective in today's episode. So he's using an 85 millimeter full frame right now. That's what's in his hand. And that gives you a particular look. This lens right here will give you the exact same perspective as the one he's holding. You could literally fit it inside. Yeah. This is a Sigma 56 millimeter 1.4. Now, yes, that is 1.2 and this is 1.4 and you have to use extra glass to get that extra uh, 0.2 out of it. But uh, if I were to take a shot with this lens and take a shot with that lens, especially if you're looking at an Instagram or something like that, a lot of times people won't be able to tell the difference much other than the characteristics of the sensors of Fuji versus the sensors of uh, of of uh, Canon. But the reason I wanted to show you that example is because when we have this conversation today about focal length, we're not really going to be having it necessarily about the actual focal length. We're going to be more having it about the perspective, situational use, because if I'm going to do like a head and shoulder shot with an 85 on my Canon, I'm going to be using a 56 on a Fuji because it's a crop of a 1.5. And so the examples we're going to show today are from perspective, not necessarily millimeter distance, because that's a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother conversation altogether about how compression works at particular distances, how uh, depth of field works at particular distances. And we, we could, we could definitely uh, bore you to death with that, uh, with a whole conversation. But today we're, we're going to be talking about situational, oh, I burped. There we go. Today I'm going to be talking about we are going to be talking about situational use with particular focal lengths, and we're going to start from the outside and we're going to work our way in. That's, that's usually how I like to go. Yeah, and that is well, we're going to start with ultra wides. So, as you can see right here, ultra wides tends to be used for architectural purposes. Uh, 
Obviously, you would want to use usually a tilt shift lens if you want all your lines to be right. But uh, so this is a shot I took of the Vatican at 17 millimeters. Uh, and then, you know, you use a shot like this, but you, you see with an ultra wide. Yeah, this is a really, uh, I think, cool shot of the Pantheon. And of course, you can see that I put it on a tripod because you can see the movement in the clouds and the movement of the people. But the people are tiny in the shot. And that's obviously one of the characteristics of using an ultra wide. This shot also shot in 17 millimeters. Uh, and then this shot right here also shot in 17 millimeters, kind of the exact same effect I had on the last shot. It was probably like a, I don't know, a 15, 20 second exposure. That's why you have a little bit of movement in the clouds. Uh, and of course you get distortion. That's the point. I grew up on Thrasher Magazine. When you see these bended lines on the outside, to me, that is what makes this so great. And uh, I tend to, on every shoot, if you are uh, familiar with my work, I I like 35, I like 85, I like 135, and I sometimes like 50. But when I do my shoots, uh, I actually like to take a tiny little 16 millimeter with me on my shoots because it, I don't even really consider it a lens because it's so tiny. Because you've seen this gargantuan lens right here. This is a 16 millimeter here. That's crazy. Yeah, so this is a 16 mil, and here's an example of what you can do with it for portraiture. So yes, I do use wide angles, ultra wides for, uh, I do use ultra wides for architecture and all that fun stuff. But you look at these shots, uh, you look at this shot right here, this uh, really awesome model Lance who looks like Marlon Brando, a young Marlon Brando. <laughs> he does. And the feet, uh, getting close to me, I probably shot this at f11. I'm guessing maybe maybe f14. Sometimes I'll stop down to f14 if I'm, I want to get everything in, in focus. But as long as you keep your subject centered in the frame, you can you don't get that much distortion. And the distortion you do get to me is artistically fine. I think he did an incredible job there. And I can even take it a step further because that that shot that you saw of Lance was 16 millimeter. Well. I also have a 14 to 35, I didn't bring it for today's episode, but I have a 14 to 35 F4 and look at that. And you can see, you can see that the, uh, the, the corners of the building of the, of the walls and everything are wrapping around the model. And I think that's awesome. I love the way that that looks. Uh, you see that she's uh, centered in the frame. You see that her boot is closest to the lens to create a really cool warping effect. And it's a really good change-up lens to have an ultra wide, whether it's whether it's my 14 to 35 or whether it's my 16 millimeter. I can take it on a shoot. I get my normal environmental portrait shots. I get my tight portrait shots or in the studio even. Uh, I, I can pull something out like this is once again the 16 millimeter that I showed you here in the studio. You can see the bending of all the wrought iron up top. I think that looks cool. Uh, growing up on Thrasher Magazine and seeing fish eyes, uh, I, I, I gravitate toward that. It's something unique. Uh, I think personally that if you go use a surgical lens and you go take a surgical picture that looks exactly like what you saw with your eye and you're stopped down so much that everything in your environment is in focus, I think it's a boring picture personally. I think that you should use the weird, quirky characteristics of lenses to make your work look more unique and more interesting, but I'd love to get Brandon's perspective on the ultra wide. This is just my perspective on the ultra wide. So Brandon, tell me what you think about ultra wides and how you use an ultra wide with your work. Well, thank you, Kevin. And yeah, Kevin's got it. Kevin has so many lenses and uses so many different focal lengths that it's, it's crazy what he just pulls out of the hat. Cause you know, I've known Kevin for a while and, and I've, I've seen his Instagram, you know, inside and backwards and and it's amazing the the photos that he still just you know has in the depths of his archive, and so it's always interesting uh, to look at. But um, personally, uh, the wide angles that I use, I now have a telephoto uh, wide angle. But all these shots I'm about to show you were taken on a 14 millimeter, and they're all portrait shots. So <clears throat> my favorite thing to do with a wide angle is to take portraits. So here we go. Boom. First one. This is David in front of an industrialist. Um, a brutalist, rather, a library in Austin, Texas. Lyndon Bain Johnson. Lyndon Baines Johnson's library of all places. Yeah. So essentially, it's this massive fuck-off monolith in the middle of a concrete sort of courtyard. And what I like about the wide angle is not only does it distort incredibly, 
um, but also it keeps everything in focus. So even though David is our model here, um, looking great in this sequin shirt, um, even though he's about 60, maybe now, maybe, yeah, maybe 50 yards in front of this building, uh, the building is still in focus and looming over him like a like like a second character, like a like a second protagonist. And even the clouds are just a little out of focus. So that's what I really like about what you can do with these wide angle lenses is you can make the environment as front and center and present um, as your subject. Uh, here, ooh, we're gonna go up. Um, I also like doing Dutch tilts. I find it very easy to do Dutch tilts with a wide angle lens and to incorporate as much of that frame as possible with the subject. What, what f-stop did you shoot that at? That was, I think that was actually f4, f4. Dang, <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of stuff in focus for f4. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the, well, that's, there's, there's a lot of depth and field uh, inherent in the wide angles, which is really helpful. I mean, as you can see, the, the bottom left, his pants are kind of going out of focus and even at the top right of his hair is a little bit out of focus but um yeah uh, again like just just easy like nice distortions you get the full body it does it looks a little bit unnatural and i think that's a part of the joy of shooting on wide angle again like here we go we've got the subject they're angry but notice how like they only take up one fourth of the of the frame space you have the full context you have the context and then some in fact it acts more like a movie still than it does a photo and i think that's really uh really something that i enjoy with wide angles yeah well i agree i i love that ultra wide work i think it looks amazing um because of my time shooting landscapes I've evolved into incorporating it into my portrait work, and I think Brandon has also proven that you can really do some cool stuff with ultra-wides. We're going to keep it on the wide tip. Uh, I was showing you how ridiculous this 85mm 1.2 is, but I have a more ridiculous lens. Here you go, Brandon. Good my 28mm, 28 to 70mm f2. Now, I put it on my R50, which is a crop sensor camera. I just did it because I thought it was funny to put it on such a tiny little camera. I really use it on my R5, my oh R8. Gosh. Yeah, it's so front heavy. It needs like a tripod color for a, for a regular lens. But um, as we've commented, I mainly shoot primes, but there's one place where I don't shoot primes. By the way, that's a 95mm front filter thread. So... Yeah. So, so what's interesting about this lens is, uh, you know, when you shoot a model and you, you have like flash going, they can see the flash go off and then they know to go into their next pose. The aperture blades on that are so enormous that the models can just see, they can just see the shutter close and they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. They don't even need the sound. Yeah. They, they don't even need the sound because modern mirrorless cameras, they are so much more quieter than they used to be. And so they just can see this, they can s literally see this open and close and they know to go to the next pose. But the reason I'm, I'm referencing this lens is because the next focal length I wanna talk about is 24 and 28 millimeter. Now, I, I shoot very little 24, but I shoot a lot of 28. I'll show you some examples here of 24. I think there's one or two in, my, in, in this whole story. I'm gonna show you this whole little slideshow. But Shooting at 28 millimeters to me, I prefer 28 over 24 because I think it pulls my subject a little closer. So we're looking at a shot uh, of Deontrez, who's a really great model, and he's sitting in, in, in between a bunch of mailboxes. And it's, you know, it's to me, it's about as wide of a environmental portrait lens as I would want to use. Uh, and then you start getting into ultra wide where things start bending and getting crazy. Things start bending here on a 28. As you see the shot of Malika, she's in a big mud pit in a, in a, in a nice dress that she's dirtying up. I think 35 would have been a little too tight for this shot. And I think it would have lost her at 14 or 16. So I think that having her one third off right on the frame, I think actually works really well for her on that. And then I get hired for like lifestyle shoots. So this is a lifestyle shoot I did at a really upscale hotel. Uh, in Austin, and we wanted a picture of a model on a bed with a with a glass of uh, you know wine, and so we got that, and it, it was able to pull it off at 28 millimeters. Uh, but another really cool thing about this lens is here's a shot I did at a wedding at f2, so you can get everything out of focus. I isolate the bride, and then immediately zoom into 70 millimeters and hit the groom. Now I did crop that a little bit because it, that really is about a 105 millimeter perspective, but I did it at 70 at f2, so it might as well have been a 105 at f. 
you know, three or something like that. Still good isolation. You can see him seeing his bride walking down the aisle. Uh, I think you can use it as a documentary. Like you have big groups. I think, I think 35, which we'll get into in a minute. It's better to use as an environmental portrait lens for one person. But as you can see right here, there's a group of uh, groomsmen and a father holding hands with rim light hitting their arms as they join. And I think 28 indoors F2 is the perfect perspective here. I think I may have actually been stopped down to like F4 or something like that. And then I just upped my ISO. That's a really important point you made for a lot of people is... 24 is great for environmental portraiture for more than one person. That's a great yeah. rule of thumb. Although in this case, it's 28. 20, well, 24 yeah. or 28. I mean, these these shots that you're seeing, though, these are all 28. This is, uh, this is the uh, father of the groom buttoning up his button right before he walks down the aisle. And so, and then I immediately move into bikini. So uh, also good. I, I was on, I was in a mansion, and they, this is a, a cool shot I did from a balcony. And uh, there was th there was supposed to be a bar put in here, but they hadn't put it in yet. And I really just liked the the how bare it was and how easy. I mean, I just I thought it looked cool. All the g the shapes and everything. It creates kind of a triangle, uh, and she's kind of in the middle of it. And once again, twenty eight millimeter. Uh, once again, you can get kind of close with it. Yeah, her, her her nose might be distorting a tiny bit, but I think it's an artistic decision here that I think is great. Uh, now we're moving. So we're going to move camera systems, though. So everything I showed you up to this point was a Canon R5 or an EOS R. What you're seeing right now is the same perspective shot on the, the, the lens that Brandon just got, which was the Mamiya RB67. 50 millimeter f 4.5. This is Tmax 400, and this is basically a 25 millimeter equivalent. So as we are on the subject of 24 and 28 millimeter, this is smack dab in the middle. It's a six by seven versus a two by three. So you can see there. And then we're moving on to uh, APS-C now. So I have a Fuji, hold on. I have a Fuji X-H2, which is an APS-C camera, and it shoots at a 1.5 crop. And the 1.5 crop on this, in order for me to get at about 28 millimeters, I actually have to have a lens that's 17 millimeters. Now, it's not shooting with all the compression characteristics and bokeh characteristics and focus fall off as 28, but the perspective is 28. And so this shop that you see right here, this lovely model Lauren, I, I tilted it a little bit. You can see the, the under her leg, you can see that the horizon is, is basically at like a 20, 25 degree tilt. And I think that adds to the shot. I think it's a really good, I think I think like Brandon had brought up with the Dutch tilt with a 14 mil and eight, uh, 24 and 28, I think all lend themselves well to tilting like you see in the shot. Um, and then also, uh, remember I said that I shoot on a lot of primes. So yes, the last shot was shot on this Tamron 17 to 70, which is the equivalent of a 24 to 105, 2.8 throughout the entire uh, uh, aperture, I'm sorry, focal range. But Fuji also makes a pancake lens, which I did not bring, that's an 18 mil, which is also about 28 mil. It's only one millimeter longer than this. It's just an F2 versus an F2.8. And same session, different look. Took a shot, hit her with my uh, B10, my Profoto B10. I, I, I purposely wanted that kind of artificial look out of it. That was what I was going for with that particular shot. Um, and just, like I said, 28, doing, doing these shots in downtown Dallas, Here's a shot I did with that 18 millimeter again. So that that, that uh, fixed focal length lens. Uh, this is a really cool museum uh, in Austin. Uh, now we're back to this 28 to 70 that Brandon is holding that I made him hold because it's so freaking heavy. And so once again, you can use it for editorial type stuff. Uh, you know, it gets wide enough. It, it'll definitely show you your environment. Uh, this is a really cool shot I did with uh, three lights and I exposed for the flames. Um, and then once again, you can get pretty close to your subject. You get a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of distortion, but I don't mind it. Now this from a distance, I, I, you know, it looks like he's in an ocean. He's actually in a pool. Thank, thank God for a black and white. Right. And then, you know, here I stopped down to F14. You can get everything in focus. Almost. There's a tiny bit of focus fall off on the bottom of his shoes, but it's very little. And now here's my 124 millimeter shot that I threw into my little setup. Now I'm right back to 28. Uh, now we're gonna switch camera systems again because we had had a discussion about Canon's 28. We've had a discussion about Fuji crop factor at 1.5. 
Now we're gonna go the opposite direction as we did with the Mamiya RB67. It had a crop factor of 0.5, which is why a 50 became a 25, which is within our conversation of 24 to 28. Now we're gonna also keep it on that other side, but we're gonna take a 35 to 70 from uh, Fuji on their GFX system. And I'm shooting it at 35, which also, when you put a 0.79 crop factor into consideration, comes out to, once again, 28 millimeter. So this is a shot I took of a really talented model named Chi. She's also an awesome photographer. And I love the, I, I just love the medium format look. Obviously it looks amazing. Um, and then there it is again, 28 millimeter perspective. That's a 35. Oh my gosh, she looks like Sharon Tate. Yeah, she does. Uh, 20, once again, uh, 35 to 70 at 35, 28 millimeter. And so, uh, once again, it's, you know, you can start to tell who your subject is at 28 millimeters, in my opinion. Uh, and the only time you really know who your subject is in the ultra wide is when you're super close to them, like that shot of Kate with her boot out, the, you know, that shot of David in the frame with, with the library behind him. Like you have to really distort your subject with ultra wide to tell that they're, they're they are the subject, uh, when you're shooting at, at 28, 24, uh, you can kind of get a more normal look of them, but it's really, you know, you can go back a little bit more and you can still kind of maintain who they are. Uh, but let, I want you to talk about your, your shots that you've done in 24, 28, because I think you gravitate more toward 24 based off of the type of lens you use versus the type of lens that I use. So yeah, Kevin has a, Kevin has a lot of different lenses and a lot of different systems that can achieve a very uh, similar focal length, obviously with different aspect ratios that will inherently give you a different look. Um, so it, there's, there's a lot of ways you can shoot 24 to 28 millimeter, which is, which is kind of crazy, all things considered. Um, but I, I merely use a, uh, 24 to 70 f4 and so when you look at my shots um, I like to isolate subjects a lot with the 24 um, uh, even though I could go wider and I could go further away I do like to get nice and close to really um, bring in an intimacy now the distortion on the 24 isn't nearly as bad as a 14 millimeter or a 16 millimeter so I find that shooting uh, close-up portraits you can kind of get away with um, in terms of more environmental stuff like full body, I think the 24 is great with a little bit of a Dutch tilt to kind of, to kind of make the scene. <clears throat> it's still interesting and it doesn't have like a whole lot of compression. Um, but at the same time, like the depth of field, even at F4 is crazy. So like this was shot at 8am and the light was terrible. I was probably at like 1600, if not 2000 ISO here for this shot um, at F4 and still you can see that the focus, uh, really maintains, um, all the way to that staircase in the back. So it's an incredibly versatile, uh, depth of field an incredibly versatile, um, field of view as well for, for sort of just creating like that, that caricature, like that protagonist in your shot. Um, and in terms of using it for like street photography, it's, it's fantastic for again just kind of just kind of like showing scale and just you know I um, telling a story with a lot of leading lines. Of course, you've got a lot of space to deal with. You've got a lot of uh, point A to point B to move to. So this is obviously a vertical shot. There's a mild bit of distortion you can see from the lower um, the lower half of the screen going upwards. It kind of it kind of bows just above that uh, hallway at the bottom. Um, but I mean, that, you can fix that in post and, and at the end of the day, it is kind of like a stylistic choice in and of itself. Um, again, like in studio, you can get these full body shots. I was probably two or three feet away from her knee and just taking this photo. And I, I didn't have much issue. Again, this very low distortion in general. So it's like, I didn't have an issue with aiming this like kind of like at her, kind of like at her neck area or like from neck to waist to kind of make sure that I didn't get one part of her body that looked like disproportionate to the rest. Um, uh, clearly her knee on the right is just a little bit disproportionate, but like that's within the realm of acceptability, especially for editorial shots. And that's kind of what people expect. Um, any more than that. And you kind of get into a realm of like, okay, this is like, this is non artistically, not like nicely distorted. Um, and then like one last thing, again, um, you've got a lot of space to work with and you can really capture your environment with the 24 millimeter uh, and a single subject. Yeah, so 24, 28, uh, as you see right here, um, these are just more examples of that. 
I, I feel like, you know, we want that shot with the shoe, like you see right there in focus, you stop down to F11, F14. You can start getting those kind of unique bend where it starts to bend those types of shots. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I find that 24, 28 can just give you a really, really cool shot. Uh, something unique, something, uh, wider and something that, uh, like I said, you, you, you really do start to figure out who the subject of the, of the scene is. They're not like tiny, like they sometimes can be at 14 millimeters, but, uh, we're going to move on to my favorite focal length. Um, and it's, you know, I don't just shoot, uh, as you saw at the beginning of the episode, I shoot landscapes, but I also shoot street photography in addition to portraiture. And so 35 millimeters, man, it is the quintessential storytelling lens. It tells you uh, where you were, who was there, what they were doing, the time of day it is, all that fun stuff. And when I go on vacation, if you if you said, Kevin, uh, you're on vacation, you could only take one lens with you, which lens would that be? It would be the 35 millimeter because I feel like uh, it's just uh, normal enough to where things are not going to get out of focus with it. And... Uh, it, it's also close enough to where you definitely know who your subject is. So, you know, I, I just, I, I see something, I see an environment, I see like this family here dancing in Pisa, Italy. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a really cute, innocent shot. The girl's just dancing with her father. I was like, dude, 35, it tells a story. And then of course you can just immediately put it on a stand and take a picture of yourself with whatever it is over your shoulder. There's me at the Pantheon. And then uh, a family friend, uh, Franco, who is a fisherman. And I can tell, I mean, the guy's a badass. You can tell he hand rolls his cigarettes. You can see from the leather skin that that guy's out on his boat every day, getting the uh, the spaghetti cozze together, the mussels, um, you know, doing that, doing that job in Gaeta and that fishing village. Um, you know, you, you can see this couple right here sitting on this bench in Dallas that I shot where it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of close enough to bring them in as the, the subject of the, of the shot. But, uh, I can also be, uh, far enough and small enough away to where I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, discreet, but then, uh, this is actually the next bridge over, uh, something I got hired to do is I'm shooting a promotional shot for a musician and you know, he's from Dallas. You can tell he's from Dallas cause that's the I 30 bridge. Anybody from Dallas knows where that is. They can see from this story that he's a musician, he's kind of a hipster guy and he is from Dallas and that's exactly what that story tells. And so, you know, 35, in my opinion, oh, some of the street photography, some of my coolest street photography works all shot in 35. This brutalist stuff's getting branded all hard. So uh, it's, like I said, it's the quintessential uh, storytelling lens. And that's how I use it uh, in street. But I also use it for my, I also use it for my portraiture work in the studio and on location. And so as you can see with these examples, it's just, they're wide enough out there to where they're not distorting but you can get your use of negative space. So you see the shot right here. I'm pretty close to the subject, but she's not distorting. This is actually shot on my Fuji 45 millimeter, which is their version of their 35 millimeter. Uh, once again, these shots right here of this really awesome uh, Belarusian model, Alina. Uh, I love the way that those turned out. Uh, there's a shot at the Dart bus station or uh, Dart uh, train station. The shot uh, that I did in the studio utilizing negative space. You get all of that out of 35 millimeter. And so, like I said, 35 to me is the ultimate storytelling lens. Uh, I'd love for you to talk about your use of 35 millimeter, Brandon. Yeah, I think Kevin really hit the nail on the head. Is it like 35 is such an easy storytelling lens? I mean, uh, the reason like I, in all my film photography and all my uh, with all my film SLR cameras, um, I've replaced all my 50 millimeter lenses with 35. I rarely ever use SLRs for anything other than taking with me to locations, seeing friends, taking it with me to, to go grab a bite, to go grab a coffee. If I'm traveling anywhere with my family, I usually have um, my 35 millimeter, uh, 35 millimeter with me. <clears throat> and so in light of that, I'd like to show you a shot from England. These are my two brothers. We went on a walk during a sunset in uh, Staffordshire in England by my nan's place. And, you know, it's just one of those things like, okay, the light's hitting them well. We've got light playing off of the um, off of the, the plants, the foliage and whatnot. And we've got a leading line of where they're going. You know, we've got light bouncing off, you know, rimming their, their heads and their, their hair. And so it was, just, it was a quick like pull up, snap, put back down, you know, back in the moment. And you can tell it just captures the essence of the moment. 
it was it was a little bit brisk. The warm was definitely sun, but or I mean the sun was definitely warm. You had a sunny day in England. Good job. <laughs> I know it happens every once in a while. You know, uh, same thing here. My two brothers were wrestling in Wales. Um, it was a very easy decision to just bring up the camera uh, at 35 millimeters and kind of just go boom, shot taken. It's all there. Um, for street photography with a point and shoot, there's a reason the point and sh- that most point and shoots are at 35 millimeters is because it is a great focal length for capturing uh, the story, the environment, and and the scene that's unfolding in front of you. Um, and speaking of the scene, here's a scene of a girl, um, Landry, getting out of a pool. Uh, I shot this on Fuji Extra 800 and converted it to black. Um, the grain is fantastic, but but again, you've got the story. You have the leading lines coming in from the frame of the of the pool thing, and she's coming up it. And it's the story is as much about her environment as it is her interacting with her environment. Yeah, and you know, for new photographers maybe watching or listening to this podcast, a lot of times when you start off in photography, people will say. Hey, you're starting out, you should get a 50 millimeter lens. I disagree, and here's why. Is chances are if you're inexperienced at photography and you walk up to something and you want to take a picture of it, you'll probably find yourself one or two steps too close to it. So when you put your camera up to your eye, you're like, oh, I'm I'm a little too close. With a 35 millimeter, that's not a problem because the 35 millimeter is slightly wider than a normal field of view. And with modern mirrorless cameras being at the high megapixels that they're at, who cares if you're a little too wide? Crop it. And so I think that 35 is actually a lens that makes you a better photographer because it makes you think about your environment in relation to your subject a little bit more. I think 35 is like the first focal length, like it's it's, it's the focal length where there's no doubt who your subject is. 28, you start teetering. 14, you could lose it. 35 is the first focal length where there's no doubt who the subject of your story is, assuming that you frame it correctly. And that that's even true when you take something like that and you throw it onto a, a film camera like an RB67. So here's some six by seven examples I did um, on the 90 millimeter, the, the 3.8. And you can definitely see more negative space, more environment around the subjects. And I, I just, I love using the 35 millimeter focal length, like uh, this Portra 400 shot here in downtown Austin, uh, styled super well. Uh, love the way all that, I love the way it all turns out. I love shooting at that 35 millimeter equivalent focal length, which of course on a Mamiya RB67 is uh, 90 millimeters. So uh, I think we're going to move on from 35 millimeter yep. uh, with a slightly wider than the normal field of view. And we're going to go into the normal field of view, which is 50 millimeters. So when you have 50 millimeter, you take that lens, you put it up to your eye. Uh, what you see is usually what you get. And we're going to start today uh, when we're talking about a quote unquote normal field of view. We're actually going to dive into a different uh, format right now, and we're going to dive into the Hasselblad 510CM. So here are some shots. Now, I will say that I don't shoot 50 as much as I shoot 35 or 85, which we'll talk about later, but I seem to, when I do shoot 50, I, I, I seem to get it somewhat right. Uh, and with 50, your your subject really is, like, it's in, indisputable who who is the subject of the photo. They are definitely there. Uh, you start to actually see a little bit of compression, and you actually see some pretty good isolation start happening at 50 millimeter. If you don't have a super high dollar lens, you can go out and buy the nifty 50 on a Canon platform for $100, $200, and you're going to start getting isolation, really good isolation with your subjects. And so... Uh, that is what I love about this. Now, that is uh, shown from the perspective of a, a Hasselblad, uh, uh, like I said, the five, 500 CM series. Uh, I love shooting uh, 50 millimeter on Canon uh, as well as the Fuji GFX. So here are some shots uh, of Canon, the 50 millimeter, which it's it's a darn sharp lens. The 50, I use the 1.2, uh, but you can just as easily use the Nifty 50. I actually did a uh, video on the uh, Nifty 50 uh, being used with my R8, and I put it up against the 51.2, and the differences were not that great. Uh, except the prices are about two thousand dollars more. There's that there's that Marlon Brando looking guy again. He, he uh, looks totally looks like young like Marlon, Marlon Brando. Brando. Yeah. Oh yeah, Stella. So no, that's that's some of my 50 millimeter work uh, on Canon. 
And then I'm finally going to show uh, the same perspective, because this is really uh, about perspective as much as it is about focal length. I'm gonna show you some work that I've done on my Fuji GFX. And it's interesting because uh, I actually gravitate a little bit more toward uh, the normal field of view on Fuji than I do on Canon. I actually shoot quite a bit. Uh, this is a 63 millimeter on the GFX. And I think that the uh, 50 millimeter or 63, whatever, on the GFX is a fantastic focal length. Um, here's one example where I, 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 I kind of show environmental, but I, I really start gravitating way more toward my subject than I do toward my environment. Although I do, I, I did like the way that that environmental shot turned out. I thought that, that was a pretty cool one. Um, and but yeah, here here's some more examples of it. Now, one of the things I do love about shooting uh, on the Fuji is that because the depth of field on it is more shallow, I can get more of a dreamy, out-of-focus uh, background, like you see right here. Uh, that's the 50 millimeter, and I'm pretty far away from her. I'm a good 10 feet away from her on a 50 millimeter, and that's a, that maximum aperture on that Fuji uh, GFX lens is a 2.8, and I can still throw the background out of focus standing 10 or 15 uh, feet away at 2.8, because it's more or less, uh, at that point, it's almost like an F2. It's almost like you're shooting at F2. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool lens. I love shooting. Um, I guess that's uh, just a medium, normal field of view lens. Uh, I, I, I like shooting it. I seem to do okay when I do shoot a 50 millimeter uh, or its equivalent. I just don't favor it as much as I do 35 and 85. But Brandon, uh, maybe you can comment on some of your work that you've done at 50 millimeters and tell us why you love shooting at 50 millimeters. You know what? It's kind of interesting is uh, 50 millimeters for me is kind of just, it's it's ordinary. Um, I started on 50 millimeters. Uh, the Like the first 10,000 photos I've ever taken were pretty much on uh, 50 millimeter. And so like at this point, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, indifferent towards 50 millimeter. I don't like if I happen upon it while I'm using my zoom lens, fair enough. But um, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a very innate lens. You know, it's like when, when you shoot in a single focal length long enough, you kind of just like see it. So I use it basically for like um, contextual portraits, not necessarily environmental portraits. I wouldn't say that, but but like contextual. So this is shot on my F5 uh, using Fuji Extra 800. Um, here you can really see that grain profile of the the Fuji, uh, the lower uh, lower quality film. And then moving on, like again, okay, we're in the studio. We're isolating. Uh, we're isolating subject here. We're blurring out background. I think I shot this at like a 2.8 or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Like, it's just, it's a great portrait lens. It does the job well. Um, you know, you know, I don't need, I don't really like need someone to dress up like super differently, um, to shoot on 50 millimeter. I just kind of need that top half and the head to be, you know, where all the characteristics are. This character obviously based off of brick top from <laughs> snatch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got the glasses. Little piggies. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, that's uh, that's my ex-girlfriend. I just decided to get some brick top glasses about six years ago. And it's just like, all right, you know, I was in my snatch phase. And I was just like, all right, we're just going to put this together. Again, just like very, very drawn to the eyes. Um, that's how I use 50 millimeter. Um, I've tried taking more negative space, like environmental stuff, taking, you know, 20 paces backwards. And for me, I just, I don't like the way uh, it compresses. It doesn't compress enough for me to the point where it's a statement. And it doesn't have really much like a depth of field isolation for me, at least on a on a standard full frame, to where like it's a statement either. It's kind of just a blah. So the only real way uh, I, I feel that this lens uh, portrays stuff or articulates things is up close um, to where you can kind of just get the details of the face without uh, really any distortion. Um, unless you start playing around with the color, like like you did here, and you start playing with props, and you start to bring in the narr uh, the narrative into this small space that you do have. 50 millimeter, you're not gonna get a lot of compression out of it. Where compression starts happening is at your equivalent of 85 millimeter, which is probably, it's it's probably tied as my favorite focal length. It's definitely my money-making focal length. It's what people hire me for the most because when I take on a prospective client and we're in that discovery phase together and we're having conversations about their their goals you know, always try to say hey do you picture yourself using me how do you picture yourself using me or me using my camera to make you look better pick five of your favorite photos of mine and inevitably they choose either something shot with a canon 85 uh 
the Fuji 110 on the GFX, which is their equivalent of an 85, or on like a 56 on the Fuji X-H2, which is also about the equivalent of an 85. So Fuji 110 F2, this lens is insane. It's, it's, it's gotten me a lot of my best work. I, I just, when I go through and I pick my favorite portrait shots I've ever taken, it tends to be an awesome lens. Now you see something like this, it's okay to get back with an 85. It really is. I love using an 85 as an environmental portrait lens, and I don't think people do that enough. Um, I, I think that if you use it as an environmental portrait lens, you can get some insane results with it. Uh, I'm going to show you why. Uh, I, I tend to use my GFX more in the studio than I do in environmental portraits, but my Canon uh, RF system, my, my R5, which I'm about to show you, I use that all the time on location and a shot like this. I mean, you can just see, like, here's this sliver. Focus fall off starts here. Focus fall off starts here. Insert subject in the middle. 1.2, everything is razor sharp. And it's just kind of a cool look and people like it and they hire me for it. And that's the look it can give you. You can also stop down with it. So I'll show you an example of that. That's F8 at a, you know, waist up type of shot. You can read out the letters of Paramount there, so you can still see it as an environmental portrait shot. And then if you do have stringy lights in the background, you are obligated to shoot this thing wide open because the bouquet looks insane on it. But we were talking about compression. Look at this type of shot here and how close it brings the mountains into this little barn area. And then back to, of course, using it as a headshot. And yes, of course, you slap the 85 millimeter on for headshots. But here's just another example of me using it. Stepping back, we have a 750 square foot studio that we use. And it is far enough, not only for a, an 85, but a 135. And so if you have the space, I just think that there's a unique perspective about this shot with his body, especially when you get down low. When you get down low with an 85 type of, of lens, I just think it does some interesting and unique things uh, to the body. I also think with compression, you look at a shot like this, you can't do this shot with a 35 or a 50. You're not gonna get lines that straight. Those lines, I, I did not do any sort of keystone correction on this. This is just how the 85 1.2 renders this shot. Now, I was at least 100, 150 feet back when I took this shot, but I don't think this shot would have been as powerful with a 50. I don't think this shot would have been as powerful with bending lines uh, like a 35. Now, a 35 doesn't have a ton of bending lines, but they do start to bend. Another great thing about 85, of course, is let's say you get hired to be like a sports photographer, you're doing some lifestyle type stuff. Use this thing all day long with these types of shots where you get low to the ground. It's all, you know, isolation. Mm. Um, you know, there's nothing. It's just out of focus in the front. You got some rips, dude. Same guy that Brandon worked with earlier, pumping iron, and then boom, liquidation in the background. The, the models love those shots. And then, of course, in the studio, it does amazing work, uh, editorial. It's just an incredible-looking lens, in my opinion. Um, but why don't you talk about some of you? Actually, before you talk about some of your 85 work, I do want to just very quickly, because you just got Shimamiya RB67. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to I show you a few see. examples of what you could expect with that really cheap-ass 150—I'm sorry, 100-ish dollar lens. Yeah. So, I mean— you know, these are these are cool shots. There's another example of environmental portraiture that I did, a Portra 400, and then there's a, a Ilford Delta 100 shot. You can get that nice, beautiful mid-tonal look. That is insane, that's the sharp. quality. That is, I thought those were digital. No, oh no, that's, my that, that, that's Ilford, that's why, that's why I, I love shooting Kodak, but I love shooting Ilford Delta because I think the mid-tonal stuff on the skin is just, yeah. you cannot touch that. Kodak, I love Kodak, but Kodak does not do mid-tonal stuff like Ilford. Yeah, and this this isn't a plug, by the way, but I just recently got a uh, got an intro membership at Film Supply Club for I think it's like seven ninety nine a month, and it takes uh, takes a pretty good discount off of off of all your film. So uh, I've got portrait coming in, and I think I paid fifty nine dollars for five rolls um, for seven bucks a month, up to twenty rolls. So so yeah, if you're interested in that. Um, I'm definitely going to start buying some Delta 400 as well because I've been a, I've been an HP5 guy for way too if, long. If you okay, Delta 400 for environmental, Delta 100 for studio. Because that shot that you saw Tatum, that's 100. Okay. Delta 100 is super fine. It's so good. In the it, studio. Is it? Does it compare more to like Tri-X or T-Max? 
would you say? Uh, it's more Tri-X. More Tri-X. That's why it's mid-tonal, whereas T-Max is more uh, punchy. Yeah. So HP is more like a T-Max-ish vibe. Yeah. And whereas, uh, in my in my, in my my opinion, I'm sure there's some film photographer who's going to give us a downvote because they disagree with us. Because film photographers or all film photographers disagree on everything. So let's talk about your 85 shots. Okay, well, I, first and foremost, I want to preface this by saying that my 85 millimeter purchase was inspired by Kevin. Uh, Kevin, for a long time, has basically just been flaunting and talking about his 85 millimeter experience. And so I thought, you know, why the hell not? So at the end of 2023, I went and took these, well, not near the end. I think it was the end of summer into fall. We went to a lake and took these shots of Sadie. Um, now, the goal here was to get a degree of separation. I wanted to get full body at 85 millimeter, which is something I never, ever, ever, ever do. This is the only shoot like this that I have with an 85 mil. And so, yeah, we wanted to get some full body shots and really just the clouds showed up that day. The water showed up that day. The wind showed up that day. And so we wanted to capture as much of that as is possible. And then again, like that depth of field, that separation that you can get here, I think I went down to 1.8 and we had a sailboat going by. And so I'm like, okay, like Sadie, do whatever you're gonna do. I'm just gonna capture this sailboat going by and Sadie did whatever she was gonna do. So now we've got this, this like interesting shot here and then boom there we go we got eyes along the horizon great depth of field separation um in hindsight i think it also would have been totally bitching to just bump this up to like f11 bump the iso up to like you know uh 1600 and just get that that sailboat um compressed as hell right there as well get it all in focus but um no the 180 like or, i mean sorry the 85 this was cropped in a lot uh, using the Viltrox 1.8. And uh, again, like $400 lens. It's a $400 85mm lens and on the Nikon Z8. It's absolutely fantastic. And I just love the depth of field set your, uh, separation here because the, you can see that the clouds are there. Um, you can see the sort of focus fall off on, on her far shoulder and her far clavicle. And I, I think it's just beautiful. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice range for a good portrait. And I think it does a lot of justice uh, to the model and you can still make it environmental as Kevin was saying. Yeah. I love, I love using it as environmental. We're going to compress things a bit further now and we're going to move some, we're going to move to a, a focal length that you like a little better than 85, or at least you have much more experience with it. But I'm going to show you some examples of how I use 105 a little differently than Brandon uses 105. So as I've already talked about with the 35 millimeter focal length, I like to shoot street photography. And a lot of times you uh, use what you have. And when I go on vacation, I will use a 35 prime, but I also use like a 24 to 105 with Canon. So at 105, I think I can take some pretty cool portraits with it, uh, some cool environmental type of portraits with it from a distance. So here's a guy reaching in his pocket uh, in it, uh, Termini Roma Terminal in Italy. Uh, getting some smokes, getting some some lung darts, some cancer sticks. I love smokes. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I try to do uh, – one of my styles of street photography is I like to – I like to slow my shutter speed down. I like motion to happen, and I like my scene to be frozen. And so that's what I did in the shot. Uh, you know, I'm shooting at 105, but I'm probably shooting at a 15th of a second. Thank God for IBIS. Thank God for uh, you know, lens stabilization, because if I tried to handhold this shot with no stabilization, he would be out of focus too, and you wouldn't know who the, the, the subject is. And so uh, another type of shot, the compression. You see all those screens on the left that go down the line. 105 gives you that. It pulls everything in. But we all know that the subject is the soldier waiting for a train, even though there's a bunch of other stuff happening there. And I know this one's a little more frozen. It wasn't. I didn't. I didn't shoot it at as slow of a shutter speed as that. Uh, but then I just like to when I'm when I try to pull something in closer. Uh, this is in the Mediterranean. I just wanted to like have this boat like kind of in the lower lower left third. Uh, and then, of course, uh, right here, this shot right here, this is probably more how Brandon likes to use his 105. I love using a 105, but even at 105, that's at 5.6. You can see focus fall off happening on the ears, so you start losing that depth of field. It's pretty pretty shallow. Uh, this is a 75 millimeter on my Fuji X-H2, so those last ones were all Canon uh, R-series. This is a 75 millimeter, which is about 112, so we're still in that 105 range. This is a 105, uh, I'm sorry, 
75 millimeter, which shows it was 112. It's an F1.2 lens. This really, really awesome model uh, with, a, with an agency up in Dallas. Uh, Jake, there's another shot of him with, the, with not in the pool, uh, but look at how much 102 will give you. He's just standing there in liquefied heaven. Uh, and once again, same thing. I love the way lines and compression work. You see the way that all the all the uh, leaves are, are going to the down right, the, the you know lower right, but then you see the the subject kind of looking across it. He's looking through all that all those lines. So there's like a three dimensionality to it. And then once again, compression. You see this this model Misha. Uh, I have these three different shadows. I told her to lay in the closest shadow, and and the compression of pulling those other two shadows toward the camera it creates a really cool line effect. 105 to me is leading leading line territory. You can of course use it for headshots. There's another great example of it. But this is the example that I want to show for compression. It features it the best. In this shot, you see four different villages, four cities. You see down here. Uh, just above the foreground into the midground, you see Varena. Then you see Vezio up on this hill. There's a town on the upper right. That's Vezio. Then you see Perleto, which is where me and my family stayed. And then you see it's not the Bologna, like the large city of Bologna, but a tiny village called Bologna. This is all on Lake Como in northern Italy, just northwest of Milan, north north due north of Milan. And I mean, right there, you see four towns in one shot at 105 from a boat. And uh, just for those of you who care, my family was staying uh, right there. That's where we stayed. So we could see our house from here. It was pretty awesome. Um, and that's that's what I love about 105. 105, it, to me, is 85 compresses. Don't get me wrong. 85 compresses. But 105 is where I – like. You can't ignore compression. Compression is king. Compression is happening, and that's what I love about uh, that's what I love about it. Now, Brandon uses 105 a little differently than I do, and I'm gonna have him talk about it right now. So, if you go on YouTube and you type in 105 millimeter um, uses, basically you're gonna get a bunch of uh, you're gonna get a bunch of people telling you, "Oh, it's it's a great portrait lens. You need to use it for portrait." <laughs> That's what I use it for. So I don't have the cool compression that Kevin's got in, in Bologna or whatever, or, you know, at, at the, near Lake Como where you can see four different fucking villages and you, my house is there. Woo. You know, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Instead we have Victoria. So yes, I use it for very clean, very nice, just elegant, uh, portraits. Uh, I believe this is the same Nikon lens that Stephen McCurry, Stephen McCurry, whatever the hell that dude's name is, used to shoot the Afghan girl, which is a very popular image that circulated in the world in the uh, 2000s. Um, again, yeah, just it's just nice compression, it's nice fall off. I mounted my my old 105 millimeter uh, AIS film lens to my Nikon Z8 and eyeballed this image. Same with this one. Again, absolutely perfect. You know, just just proof that film lenses hold up in the modern world and just deliver an impeccable, delicious uh, portrait. Um, I think I shot these at f8. Um, if not, yeah, no, probably f8 um, because the depth of field would have been an issue if it had been any shallower. Um, but yeah, just it's it's very simple. It's very direct. There's no question of who the subject is, what's going on. And, and how that plays with the audience. Obviously, the focal point is the eye. We've got half the face um, in the shadows, and the background is a very mild gradient with an overall rough teal and orange grade. It's a very simple shot. It's very elegant. Victoria did her part, and I'd like to say that I did mine, and the lens did its. Now we're going to move further down the, uh, or I should say further up, the millimeter scale, and we're going to go to what is... Probably my favorite tied with 85 and 35. I don't use it as much because it's a specialist focal length. And that is 135. The thing I love about 135 millimeters is there are things in your mid, foreground, and background that can be pulled together that no other lens, in my opinion, can do. Uh, not like this, because I think once you get to 200 mil on portraiture, it's too intense. But I think the 135 is that perfect nestled in between. So the shot that you see right here of Brandis, she's a really great and talented model here in Austin. I love the way that this water is hitting. I love the fact that uh, you know her, her her closer elbow is out of focus, her further away elbow is out of focus. But then you got this beautiful sliver in the middle. I love shooting through things with 135. I think it's like the perfect focal length for when you need to shoot through things, um, and. Yeah, it's a fantastic focal length, uh, but it really is 
mainly for outdoors. Uh, I will show you some examples of some indoor stuff with the bouquet. You look at those bouquet balls of her shoulder. It is a beautiful focal length. Now this is a 135 uh, f1.8, but look at the way it compresses. And I, using it for street photography, look at these leading lines, like these little barriers. So this is right out in front of the Bellagio in Las Vegas. And you just see these leading lines and just the way it, it compresses. It's such a beautiful focal length for pulling things closer together. Look how close that bus looks to her. That bus is probably 30, 35 feet away from her as she's hula hooping, but nope, we're gonna pull it right in and it's gonna look amazing. And then as you see right here, I'm shooting through the fall leaves of this. This is actually the older 135 F2, the old EF lens from the 90s. Uh, the newer one you can see has a little more punch, but there's there's the newer one again. Gosh, it's razor sharp. So that's one of the cool things that I love about uh, 135, the way it compresses foreground and background elements. And uh, you can also use 135 in the studio if you want to, uh, if you have like a 750 square foot studio and get full body shots, but barely. Uh, it's The other thing I love about 135 is it's not a long enough portrait lens where you have to shout at your subject. So uh, there are, you start getting to a 200 mil and you're going to start shouting at your subject. Uh, Brandon's going to draw a blank here because Brandon does not shoot 135. No. But I'd love, I'd love to get his feedback on it. Sorry, I'm... He's looking. He's looking. He's looking at a Mamiya Secor C one eighty millimeter f four point five. Buy it now or quick, best quick. offer for one forty nine. You should offer him one twenty and see what he says. That's interesting. A quick question: Why? Why is are the shutter speeds on the lens? Because that's a leaf shutter. Uh, okay. No, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, the I, shutter's in the lens. All you have is a mirror up function on the RB. No, you're absolutely right. I completely forgot about that. Oh crap. Yeah, yeah. So make sure make sure that the that thing has been tested. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the, the, so Brandon doesn't have much of a, he, he, Brandon doesn't have much of I'm not a compression guy. I'm not a compression guy. Like I'll just, I'll, you know, plain and simple. Kevin, something that Kevin excels in is taking the tools he has at hand. Kevin will, he'll take the camera he has at hand. He'll take the lens he has at hand and he'll take the environment. And, and Kevin runs like an algorithm through his brain. Okay. He's like a machine and he goes, okay, uh, uh, what, like I need, the objective is I need an interesting shot. So he'll start running this like this like matrix through his head and he'll be like, okay, if I've got a 135 mil, okay, what can I do? I can do in incredible subject isolation. I can do, um, I can do incredible compression and I can do just, um, incredible detail shots wherever the hell I am and, and distance is no problem. So Kevin will, Kevin will like get those four things and he'll just run it through like a simulation in his head and you can, and you can watch him. He'll be in the middle of, of Rome and you'll see the guy standing still and his head will be cocked like this. It takes him about like five seconds and he'll be like, all right, cool, let's go. And then you'll just nail the most interesting <laughs> shots you can find that are like actually possible in the moment. And I don't work that way. I work objective based. I go, okay, this is the lens I have. And I go, okay, I want to do, I want to do what I want to do. So I have to make that work, um, which usually takes takes more time and I'm more fickle or I just won't take the shot because I'm a stubborn son of a bitch. But um, Kevin's about to show you some photos where he, he does exactly that. He literally, he runs the algorithm. He's got he's got this stuff saved on floppy disks and he, he uploads it to his his, his uh, organic hard drive every now and again. And he just, he just runs with it. We're going to take it beyond 135. We're going to look at 200 now and, and beyond. So uh, I actually don't own a 70 to 200. I used to own a 70 to 200. And then on a trip with my father, uh, I dropped one and it broke. And then uh, when I got a 135 F2, I, I just stopped using my 70 to 200 because I, it's like, hey, I got a full stop of light better off this 135. It weighs less. Uh, and so I sold off my 70 to 200. And uh, as I go through my old pictures that I've taken on a 70 to 200, I'm starting to get a little bit uh, of a itch to maybe go get one again because I love I, I love the look, man. I love this compression. You see the way that this horse, uh, you have you know, mid ground, foreground, mid ground, background. It's all pulled together. Just look at those. Like the way that these trees are up, all pulled together with the road. Um, all this fall, like this this shot right here. So I took this shot. Uh, we were in. Great sand dunes. My dad and I went on a really awesome uh, little vacation back in 2018, father son time, and we were at Great Sand Great Sand Dunes. And I had my 200 millimeter uh, f4, my 70 to 200, I should say f4, and I just shot this at 200 millimeter. And when you look at those those feet, that's probably a quarter mile of 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 length. 
but it's compressed and everything's closer. I love that about these shots. You know, you look at the great sand dunes, everything's being pulled in. Uh, right here, this is uh, Forrest Gump point. So it's the part where he's he's jogging in Forrest Gump. He's like, I think I'm going to stop running now. Like this is the exact same spot. It's the mile 13 marker at Monument Valley. It's technically in Utah. And I mean, that car you see right there, I shot that at like uh, 180-ish millimeters on my 7 200. So that car is probably a half a mile away. But it looks like it just passed, you know. And you know, it's 30 seconds away because it's going about 60 miles an hour. And so uh, that's the beautiful thing about compression. It pulls the, the fog going off of the, the mountains closer to the to the, to me and it makes it a, in my opinion a much more interesting picture and so here's here's some shots of white sands same thing you see those beautiful uh they almost look like cotton candy sand dunes there i mean it's just wispy really really pretty uh, uh you know right at uh, right at sundown. Uh, this actually is one of my favorite shots I've taken and not because I think it's a very well done shot. I just think it's a shot that really taught me a lot about compression. Uh, when my father retired from the airlines, his very last trip was we went to San Juan, Puerto Rico and we're in Viejo San Juan, old San Juan at the, at the mission, the fort, uh, right there on the water. And I turn around and actually, if you see the first half of this frame, that's a graveyard. And then, uh, and then the back, that's just people's houses. They're very colorful in, in, in San Juan. And I'm shooting this on a uh, Canon 7D because this is back in 2018. They didn't have any mirrorless until later in 2018. And I'm using a 250 millimeter uh, lens here and it's compressing it. And it's like basically a 400 millimeter shot. And you can see everything. Like you, you zoom in and look, there's a couple right there sitting there right 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 on the edge of the graveyard and then you just see you, you can like literally like see license plates and everything you can see people's cars you can see another part of the mission there with the puerto rican flag i mean there's just so much compressed in the shot and you get shots like that and then when i was in italy once again I look at these shots I took with my 70 to 200, and it's like, gosh, I mean, these guys, this isolation, uh, just awesome stuff. I, I mean, I love I love compression. I love using long focal lengths. So I guess the whole point of this was for me to tell you about uh, the fact that I think I'm going to have to start looking at a 70 to 200. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon took one look at the price of 70 to 200s, and he was like, nah, I'm good. I nearly spent that much money on an RZ, but I decided against it because you thought better of it. Okay, because the electrical failures too. Well, the summary yeah, That's a great shot. The the summary of today's episode, I want you to look at the shot of the chimney. This is the chimneys. These are out there in Monument Valley. This is the chimneys at 200 millimeters. This is the chimneys at 70 millimeters. And this is the chimneys at 35 millimeters. And that's the point. What lens are you going to use to complete your objectives? Uh when you're thinking about, you know, hey, I got a photo shoot coming up. Well, what am I trying to achieve with this photo shoot, right? When you're thinking about those sorts of things, um, you know, just think about what lenses work best for you. I know some of you just throw slap on your your 24 to 70 or your 24 to 105 or whatever, but you know, a really good exercise if you really want to learn about focal length is slap on a 35 and go do an entire shoot in 35 and, and just do that one shoot in 35. Do two or three shoots in 35. Do the same thing with 50 millimeters. Do the same thing with 85 millimeters. I force myself to do entire shoots in 135 millimeters outdoors. That is a bit of a challenge because there's really only certain types of ways you can get 135 to work, but it teaches you about yourself as a photographer. It teaches you about focal length and ultimately it helps you grow. That does it for today's episode. We thank each and every one of you for listening and watching today. F11pod.com is where you can find us. Of course, F11pod is also our handle on all major platforms. Uh, you can also, of course, subscribe on YouTube. We would love it if you'd subscribe on YouTube. Even if you're just listening on uh, Apple, Spotify, or any of the other major podcasting platforms, we would appreciate the subscription on YouTube. We're moving more in that direction. And until next time, kids, my parents' present to me for Christmas was a shirt that says Chase Light and not Algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.